If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everybody. Dr. Z, welcome to the Z-Dog MD Show. Today, I have somebody I've been wanting to talk to forever, ever since her work actually changed my mind about the utility of masking. This is Dr. Monica Gandhi. She's an infectious disease doctor and professor of medicine at the University of California, San Francisco, my alma mater. Let's just jump into it. Monica, thanks for trekking down. Thank you for having me. What's up with the air quality, man? I feel like I need to wear a mask <laughs> just to be able to survive. But then you need to wear a mask like with a filter, but then that doesn't help people with like, you know, uh, COVID and so it's terrible. I don't know what to wear. Yeah, right? One of those like little <laughs> venti, venti ones. Yes. That, that, yeah, exactly. It's terrible. So, you know, you started talking about masks in a way that I had not heard anybody talking about. Now, and, and it started with me for this. So, so COVID starts, everyone's like, okay, don't wear a mask, don't wear a mask, WHO, CDC, because they, I presumably wanted to save them for healthcare professionals, right? right? Was that right. the only reason? I, you know, it's very interesting. So I think that was the main reason because um, it's true that we suddenly had this crisis and healthcare workers truly were really close to people and they there were people who were dying. Truly, there were healthcare workers who were dying. That's actually the ophthalmologist in Wuhan who was the whistleblower who blew this later died. So very close contact with people who have an infectious disease is deadly. Um, but then, uh, and so it was fair to say that at the beginning. But then what masks, what I realized about masks, and I think this is this is different um, mm. than the typical, like it may prevent you from spreading it to others, is this question of could masks um, still actually allow you to get some virus, but just enough. And what I mean by that is masks actually don't totally protect you from infectious diseases. There's no way that you can say that. There's no way that a cloth mask or a surgical mask totally blocks out 95% of all viral particles. It doesn't. And 95 masks do. They're super tight fitting. They're super uncomfortable and they're super tight. And these kind of cloth masks that the CDC asked the public to wear on April 3rd does not filter out all the virus, but they may do something else. And they may filter um, not all of it, but a certain amount so that if you get sick, you don't get as sick. And we can talk about that. But yeah, you're right. It was confusing messaging about masking at the beginning. Right, and then it's okay, so we're gonna get into this. So what happened with me is I saw this messaging and I said, okay, I get it, I understand it. Because if I'm in a hospital, I'm a thousand percent gonna wear a mask yes. because we know what the masks do in close quarters. Like you said, and Dr. Lee, I think was his name, the Wuhan ophthalmologist. ophthalmologist. Yes. Now ophthalmology, you're in people's faces and exactly. you're getting a massive load potentially of coronavirus if you're there 
care on the front lines, which right. he was. Right. And he died, he was only 33. Right. No other right. medical right. problem. Right, right. And even in those days, I was talking to Peter Hotez about this on the show. Could it be that inoculum, how much you get, actually may be correlated to severity of disease? Yes. And then CDC was saying, well, don't, don't do this. And I, okay. Then they said, well, then just any kind of cloth mask will do. And at that point, I thought, well, it's gonna encourage people to touch their face. It's gonna encourage uh, a lack of social distancing. It's gonna do all these things and it's not gonna actually filter virus and you're gonna get viral particles and you're gonna die. But I started to see the light on this as I started reading about your work and actually looking at some of the emerging data. So how did you come to this sort of understanding? So, so I was, when the CDC put out their recommendations on April 3rd, they said it in this way. They said, wear masks to protect others. Mm. Now, by the way, that is not a good message to like get everyone to mask because mm -hmm. by definition, human beings, um, you know, want to protect themselves. And that's really okay. Like, it's really okay to say that um, I may not want to wear a mask when all you're telling me to do is protect others. Like, you know, we we are evolutionary creatures and we want to protect ourselves. So that that messaging actually was sort of, unevenly followed, right? Like mm. it was like people would say, I don't even know what you're talking about and I'm not gonna wear this. Mm. And also then there was this idea among many others that you're telling me it doesn't filter everything out and then you're telling me to wear it. I, none of this is actually making sense. A thousand percent. It, it didn't, it didn't, it didn't make sense. It's the worst messaging in the history of messaging. It was a terrible message because yeah. you're saying, okay, only you only care about other people that's not gonna help you at all. And then you're also saying it's kind of going to help you, but actually cloth is not effective. So it was truly confusing. But then what I was watching with this infection, and this is the most amazing thing about this infection, is how much asymptomatic infection there is. Mm. That is so weird. Mm. Like Ebola, you get Ebola, you die. Like Ebola, mm. you 90% get sick. Mm. Influenza, if you get a certain amount you get sick. Like people are sick with like bad viruses. Like bad viruses that cause ARDS make them sick. SARS made people sick, the first one. What is this virus? This is so weird. It was like 40% were totally well and felt great and then like people died. This is a completely protean manifestation to have such a wide spectrum of disease. It was so strange. And so what was it that was making so many people so fine and making so many people so sick. And you would say, oh, okay, well, that's all because like the old people got sick and that's why. As you pointed out, that's not accurate. It wasn't just old people who got sick. It, yeah. were, it was people who seemed to have been in close quarters with other people. It was young healthcare workers or someone who was in someone's face or in a household where someone was really sick, they'd get really sick. And this inoculum idea, is it, it became a, a profound like um, revelation that it seems like, of course the amount of virus that you get should be possibly related to where you get sick. And so then I started to look up, okay, well that must have been known, like, right? Like you look up in the literature, it must be viral inocula and you get sick and this has been seen in multiple diseases. And it actually hasn't been written that much about. It's quite surprising. It's totally known in the animal literature. Mm. In, the animal, in the animal models, in the vet literature, they knew all, they always did even animal models that the more virus you get, the more sick the animals get. And in fact, there's this LD50, this lethal dose 50 concept, LD50, which is the dose at which 50% of animals die. Even if you the, spray even it that, into cages. Even that such a concept exists speaks to the inoculum effect. It that was, yeah, yeah. exactly right. 
It was always, you know, and the first paper that looked at this is called, they actually called it the Reed and Munch theory because it was published in 1938. And they had like poor mice and they sprayed, you know, a virus in there and 50% of them died at a certain dose. Yeah. So the idea of dose and how sick you became was actually always there. Yeah. It's just that somehow, why have we not talked about it that much? Because we haven't been in a pandemic since we started writing. It's been like a really bad pandemic was 1918. Right. And then all these other pandemics, they actually go away. And then things like um, uh, HIV, which is a true pandemic, if you really look at the literature, the more virus you get, the more sick you get. So if you get a big dose of virus from an IV infusion, you get super sick. You get a dose of hepatitis C from an IV infusion and you get super sick. It may actually make you clear it because you get a super sick response and then you clear it. But if you get a little bit of hepatitis C, you don't get that sick from sex. So this is known in other um, diseases, sexually transmitted diseases, GI. If I drink a bowl of norovirus, I get super sick. Yeah. If I have it sprinkled on my lettuce, I don't get a sick. So this is true in HIV too. This is true in, in sexually transmitted diseases, gastrointestinal viruses, and respiratory viruses. And, and you're the director of Ward 86 at San Francisco General? Right, which is the big HIV clinic there. And that, that's where I trained in my fourth uh, fourth year doing oh, you sub did. I. You were at Ward 86. In, it is in, a great in 97. Place. It's yes. such a wonderful it's a very place wonderful to learn. Place. Yes. And, a, and a beautiful population of patients yes. that yes. need us. That's right. That's so, right. So, so vulnerable. So yeah. again, and, and I'm just saying this to the camera real quick for the people who don't know what Dr. Gandhi's bona fides are, she is really a top-notch physician researcher and she understands infectious diseases. So you know, back to what we're talking about. So this idea of inoculum, in 1918, uh, when you had this first wave of flu, a bunch of people died, but then the second wave when yeah. troops came back, explain that from an inoculum theory, what happened there. That was so weird and interesting in a way, right? Because usually with a second wave of infection, and we're seeing this right now with SARS-CoV-2, people get less sick because they get less sick because there's immunity in the population, which is by the way, okay to say, and we'll talk about this later, oh, people yes. get immune from viruses and that is really okay. Herd immunity is okay. Um, and I you. really, I, we're gonna, do, I wanna too. talk about that because yes, yes. I think it's really strange how that word has become- Politicized. Politicized and co-opted in a way. Right. Like, it's an infectious disease principle, right? So right. we need to come back to that. Oh, a thousand but, but going back to, to, to 1918, what was very strange is that the second wave of infection, there should have been more immunity in the population by definition, people get less sick. Not only does it spread less, but if you have some immunity and you get a second dose, then you just seal it off and you're asymptomatic and you get better. So it should have been that this first wave looks like this big peak and then the second wave should have Smaller. been less mortality. Mm. But instead it was the opposite effect. Yeah. And it was all superimposing on history what was happening, that we were overcrowding, it was World War One. like people were all close together, people were close together here in this country as they were making things for the troops, the troops were all close together and there was an overcrowding effect and this paper that we cite in our uh, paper, but that PLAS One paper in 2010, right. postulated that the reason for the second wave having higher mortality was because there was more crowding. And that totally speaks to the inoculum theory, as you say, so does, people in households getting more sick. So do um, built, lived-in environments in the que in Queens and Bronx boroughs, people getting more sick in New York City than people in, New in Manhattan who could stay away from each other and who could sit in their homes. They got more sick. They were hospitalized at high rates. It's called the built environment. They had more overcrowded conditions. Let, All of this speaks to Let's this. talk about that more because 
60, what is it, 60%, I forget, of the cases in California are in the Latino, Latina population. Correct. And it is 30% of our population. Right. Now, does that speak to crowding in those populations, the fact that their essential workers are still going to work, that are they're getting larger inoculums? What's going on? That here? is exactly what it speaks to. So for example, we um, there was a mass testing campaign that my... Um, the Dr. Havler and Chimi and Marquez people did at UCSF. Then I I was participating in the calls to people afterwards to tell them that they had COVID. Mm. And when you asked them their living situations, they were very crowded. Mm. They were in San Francisco, crowded where you're living in kind of like an apartment that was not meant to be apartment for multiple families. You, you mean like my medical school experience? Yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah, like exactly. where we were like poor and it was really, 30 really Irving Street. Very, yeah. yeah, like 30 <laughs> Irving Street. And and I lived right by you. And and so we all had to be on top of each other because we were crowded built environments. Right, right. And so San Francisco by definition, so expensive. People are living in very crowded environments. You don't actually even know the people with whom you're sharing a bathroom because the other family is next door. Uh. And all that overcrowding and all that, like built on top of each other, of course, that's where we got the illness. Uh -huh. And it's not just that like the cases are in Latinx, the illnesses are in Latinx population. Yeah. So when we talk about severity of disease, going back to that question, who gets super sick with the virus? I think it's the people who got a high inoculum. New York, by definition, is people on top of each other. It's so much population density. Mm. We didn't actually mask at the beginning. Not that we didn't know about masking, but because of these confusing messages and because it's been a long time since 1918. So masking wasn't part of our public health strategy in March. Mm. And so people got on top of each other. There was a lot of inocula and there was so much illness. And Italy, Italy, same Italy thing. as well, same thing. Yes. Let me ask this question then. So in the slums of Mumbai, it's yes, been sort yes, of documented, there's yes. a, almost an 80% yes. prevalence yes. or 60 or 80% in those slums. Now, those guys are not distancing. Yes. Uh, why are they not all dying? Because the death rate was quite low. I actually find that really interesting. Yeah. And I've been, you know what I think it is, but mm. I don't know if this for sure. Mm. I think it's the Dupatta. I honestly think it's like, if there's anything that you have in the slums, it's an ability to clo to, to cover with a, with a simple cloth yeah, yeah, mask. Yeah. That is the only thing you could do. You can't sit in your little slum and like do your like tech thing from home. You can't like, <laughs> you know, socially distance. Right. But what you can do and absolutely is being done in India, we cover our mouths and noses in India anyway because of a smog. Yeah. We have so much cloth. It's like part of our national costume, no matter who you are. Yeah. I think it could be, this is just my theory. I think it could be that was, that was the only modality of self-protection. And if you cover your mouth and nose and you get in less viral inocula, do you not get as sick? And do you not have as high rate of deaths? There's clearly been profound exposure in Mumbai and the slums. That's my theory. I, and I think, now, now let's clarify this for people who are listening. This is all theory at this point because yes, we is. have circumstantial evidence, we have some data, but it's observational. We have some ideas, it makes biological plausibility, but again, people will push back and they have. You had a New York Times piece yes, come out yes. and you, you get a virologist from somewhere and a virologist from somewhere saying, well, it's an interesting theory, but you know, I don't know, it's, see, I'm yes. a little skeptical, which yes. you should be. Yes. But here's the thing, you're talking about mass now, because when we talk about mass, what's the downside of this? in terms of if we're saying, well, maybe masks lower the amount of virus you get, which means if you get sick at all, you may be asymptomatic. Yes. Like you said, it's a spectrum. Yes. This protein spectrum. Yes. If you get, if you, if you get um, a less dose, you may develop immunity. Yes. And then 
not be not get ever very sick from it and all it took was putting a piece of cloth or whatever on your face when you're pl in places you can't socially distance that's the the bargain on hand here yes. now the question that immediately before we get into that i think a lot of people who hate masks and i think partially this is a this is an emotional moral thing how dare you tell me what to do in my own town in my own with my face etc and i totally am sympathetic to that because I'm a bit of a contrarian and when people tell me to do stuff, I don't wanna do it, which is why mask mandates and I are always, they don't really settle right. <laughs> I think people should just do the right thing with the right messaging, but we haven't had that. So the que the question is, what's the harm of an individual putting a mask on? Am I gonna, you know, not get immunity to things that I need immunity? Is it gonna affect my immunity? You know, all these things that people say. Yes. Let's debunk that first before we get into this. Yes, yeah. so I think it's fair to say that the thing that I've been really interested in masking is that whatever you wear should be comfortable and acceptable to you. So this idea that like uh, tight thing, that's actually really uncomfortable. I don't think that people should wear N95s. I think it should be, whatever kind of works for you, bandana and neck gaiters as well, by the way, because there yeah. was some press on that, but I don't believe, I, I believe anything that blocks in, um, you know, getting virus into your into your mouth and nose will pre either prevent you from getting the infection or if you do get enough viral particles, you'll still get infected, but you'll get mild disease or asymptomatic infection. I really believe that. It's totally a theory, but I think there's been a lot of observational evidence. And we're gonna talk it. about that evidence. Yes, yeah. so mm -hmm. that, that kind of comfort, whatever works for you and making it comfortable. I also think, and I'm with you, that um, yelling at people to do the right thing is not uh, helpful or acceptable. And I'm an HIV doctor by training. That's my entire life. I've done it for so long, for 20 years, and, and Ward 86 means a lot to me, and I'm privileged to be the medical director there. I would never tell anyone either to wear a condom either. Mm. I will maybe like stress before we had PrEP and before we had uh, treatment as prevention and other ways to prevent HIV uh, without a condom. I would talk about condoms and I would like talk about them and pros and cons and, you know, but I would never, you can't yell at people. It, it, I think it's harm reduction principles 101 is you've just alienated someone if you've mm. shamed them or yelled at them. So I also agree with you that I don't believe that we should be shaming anyone or ever call anyone stupid or say wear a damn mask or like all the, or even more like wear a F mask. Like yeah. I think there's just like a lot of people have Twitter handles that I think are really um, counterproductive. not helpful. It's counterproductive. just not, counter, it's counterproductive. They, they come off as preachy, they come off as disconnected, they come off, and, and if you disagree at, with any of their dogma, suddenly you are excommunicated from the tribe of medicine. Yes. And, and, and we're seeing that. Yes, we've seen that. And, and so what happens to the average Joe who's already skeptical because of mis, miscommunication from government entities. Which is what happened, right? Which is what happened. Yes. And now there's some ding dong on Twitter going, you know, hey, I'm a Z dog. Don't you know? Wear a mask, or you're a loser, dummy, MD. It's it's, and that's why I I you know again, and and I had to change my own stance on masks purely based on the emerging data, which you're going to walk us through. But yeah. the idea that shaming someone about this is it's not only counterproductive; it's just kind of a mean, not nice thing to do. It's literally mean. Yeah. I actually think that. I, yeah. I literally think that when we used to tell gay men that you mm. were being um, you know, unsafe, you're like exposing society, don't come around my children. Yeah. Don't. This is to me also sounds like what we do is yell at people. Like I think it's 
so awful. What you do is you gather evidence, you um, hopefully put out information that could protect you, which I think is a powerful thing if you think something's protecting you and your family, because by definition, we're those kind of creatures, we're evolutionary creatures. We we do things that help ourselves find good, right? Right. That's normal. Right. And um, you put out enough information, you educate, and then you leave it at that. Yeah. And, and it is, that is what harm reduction is. Mm. That's the harm reduction model. Like if people don't want to stop using using drugs in harm reduction, you give people needles and you make things better and safer, but you don't yell. You don't mm. yell and you don't preach and you don't act like we are the the only people who know what we're talking about. And I think that problem is we have contributed to the polarization in medicine. We have contributed, in public health has contributed to the polarization of what's going on right now with their angry preachy messages. So, okay, I I'm thought I thought I, I thought I liked you when we talked on the phone. I was like, I like this. You know, because it's, it's fun. And you know, it's funny. So, you know, I'm full transparency. I've told a few people that you're coming on the show. She's a UCSF professor. She's a HIV doc, this and that. And, these fans of mine said, well, don't let her boss you around with her liberal BS because she's gonna try to you know, tell you tisk tisk and you gotta do, I'm like, no, I wouldn't have someone like that on the I show. I don't like the tisk tisk. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I actually think it's really, I, I think it's actually the combination of being an HIV doctor and being an infectious disease doctor mm. that makes me profoundly against um, yelling at people or tisk-tisking or, or and calling anyone stupid, that is actually completely the wrong messaging with sexual health. It is not how you ask people to think about possibly working on their sexual health. That is actually their own private business. Mm. And what you do is give people information on how to keep yourself and others safe, and then you allow people to live with that information, but you mm. cannot, it, it, to me, this reminds me of some of the stuff that happened with stigmatizing behavior at the beginning of HIV, mm. and I cannot stand it. Well, wasn't Robert Redfield, our CDC director, a big abstinence guy in the 80s on HIV? So, the, uh, a good point. Like, yeah. you can't tell people not to, why, that, that I don't agree with that messaging. I mean, right. it, you, you don't get to have sex because you're a gay, gay man. man, and so you're like Typhoid Mary, and you get, and you have to do this because you um, are, you know, living in a red state. Like, this is, we cannot, we cannot, let's, let's be, Let's be. Let's give out our public health messaging based on based on policy and science, mm. and then um, and and try to persuade people through. How do you explain it? Like through loving, kind, um, harm reduction, education. Don't yell at people. I, I I think don't shame people. I think it is a it is the exactly wrong thing that we're doing. Yeah. There was this article in San Francisco Chronicle um, where someone called like people just gathering together a horror show. I don't agree uh, with that messaging. I don't. Yeah. I think that people are lonely. I think people miss their family. I think they miss their friends. I think that there are ways to do things safely. I think we have to talk differently mm. if we ever want anyone to listen to us. Oh, I couldn't agree more with this. And 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 it's it's a matter of love. It's a matter of being loving in the world. Like why, why, why? We're doctors and you know, our own tribe, like you said, is so complicit in this fear mongering. And you know, we will inflict our own values on society as large. You old person, hide out in your house, avoid your grandchildren, don't talk to them. I mean, they're going, their life expectancy is so one to two years and you're taking away the one thing that they're alive for Yes, because of this risk, which is a real risk. This is not a hoax, right? We see people die of this thing, yes. but 
Put it in a perspective. Put it in a perspective. Yeah. So there are ways to visit safely. There yeah. are ways with masking to visit safely. There are ways to, if I lived with my parents who are 85 and I live with my children who are 10 and 12, um, I want my children to go to school and then I would keep them, you know, distanced or masking. I would do things to keep everyone as safe as possible, but I would never uh, create this message that there's, you're doing something wrong because mm. you want to see your your family or your friend. Mm -hmm. I think that's, I, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm, my mind is being blown by the current public health messaging actually. Yeah, I, I agree. I, it's, it's, not, it's not consistent with how HIV doctors work. And that's why I'm maybe different than infectious disease doctors who don't work in the context of HIV. So, so and I gotta say, your work on this thing has made me more convinced that we can open up, we can return to life if we just do the main thing, which is, a face covering. And again, yes. this is a main, is a change for me. Yes. And and, and now I, w I would love it if you walked us through the available data that supports this theory. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. So you're right, it's a theory, though more and more things keep on coming out that seem like it goes along with it. But essentially, uh, when we started putting this together, it really it looks like there are three major fields that come together that provide evidence for this. And it's virologic evidence, mm. epidemiologic or outbreak evidence, mm. and then ecologic evidence. And ecologic means country level data or big settings. Got it. So to go through each of those, the virologic, okay, so what I was watching with this infection is this crazy asymptomatic infection rate. Like one setting would have 20% of people becoming asymptomatic and then one setting would have like a lot higher proportion being asymptomatic. And the CDC finally settled on a number of, we, this is, there's 40% of people with asymptomatic infection with SARS-CoV-2. So then when you look at just this, let's look at this first field, this virologic level of evidence. It really is looking at animal data mm. a lot that in animals, this is profoundly well known apparently that the more virus you get in, the more sick you get. Mm. And this has been known since, the oldest paper we could find was 1938, that um, this concept of LD50, lethal dose 50, but if you spray viral virus into cages, that 50% of animals get sick at a certain dose. You need you need a certain amount to right. make the poor animals And, and, and I saw it was a 1938, 1938 study. 1938 study. And, and you know what was funny about that study? I looked at it, because you'd yeah. sent me some of the charts. Yeah. The, they hand draw the graph. Yeah. I love it's the hand so drawing. It's so awesome. It's yeah. like, like, you, know, you yeah. can just see like a guy like, well, listen, see, we're gonna draw this out. The more virus you give these little hamsters, see, the more they die, see? Yeah. It was really amazing. It was quite excellent what, that you could do your own drawings, I but know. you're right. Like, I know. And so it was an excellent paper and it was, it started it out. In fact, it so started it that it became called the Reed and Munch theory because that was the two authors. I got it. And over time, there's probably like, I don't know, like 50 animal studies more. There's multiple studies published that the more virus you get in, the more sick you get. So this yeah. is apparently in the veterinary world, totally known. Then you say, okay, well, how many experiments have been done with spraying um, virus into humans and seeing how sick they get? Mm. Not that many, because it turns out we can't do a lethal dose 50 of uh, humans. You Why can't not? do this to humans. Come it's like unethical. So, <laughs> so the only true study are virus challenge experiments. Oh. There have absolute been studies with influenza A, for example, where you're trying to develop a vaccine and you give people a little bit of influenza A or you give them a lot and they get more sick. So oh. this was this clinical infectious disease paper in 2015 that you gave people more influenza A. These were volunteers who agreed to do it. Right. And they got severe cough and shortness of breath when they got a lot of virus and they got 
um, very mildly coughing when they got a little virus. So this has been, the experimental dosing has been done in humans as well. That's awesome. And then, um, and then the other evidence around viral inoculant in humans has just got to be sort of evidence that um, with SARS-CoV-2 and other illnesses, the more crowding you get, the more people get sick. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's the virologic evidence. Mm. Then move on to epidemiologic or outbreak investigation. So mm. at the beginning of this viral infection, like on the Princess Diamond Princess cruise ship, 20% of people were asymptomatic. And then that was one analysis by a Japanese group. And then when they tested more people, so they said 40 people, 40% of people are asymptomatic. And so the CDC on July 10th said, yep, that's the number. That's the percentage of people who are asymptomatic with SARS-CoV-2. Across in a typical the outbreak, yeah, across, across the board. The world, yeah. Really well done studies. Mm-hmm. In a typical outbreak, that's your number. 60% of people are gonna have symptoms, 40% are gonna be asymptomatic. Mm. And then you'd get all these outbreak investigation reports and there'd be these very interesting settings where 95% of people are asymptomatic. And so we started looking at those more closely. So another cruise ship outbreak, this was an Argentinian cruise ship, they also didn't let people off because they never let people off cruise ships who are like getting <laughs> SARS-CoV-2 outbreaks. They make them stay there. Right. But in this case, they like threw masks overboard and they let them all have masks. And all the passengers masked with surgical masks, all the healthcare workers masked with N95, N95. masks, and um, their percentage of asymptomatic infection was 81%. That, that's a huge variable. It was a huge yeah. variability from that 20 to 40% with the Princess Diamond. And the difference was the compliance and the and the mandating and the giving of masking. Right. And they were the same age group. Like who goes on a on a cruise are older individuals. So it yeah. wasn't the, it wasn't any difference in any other demographic variable. Yeah. It was all this was the one variable. And these are kind of closed experiments, right? Like a it, yeah. like a cruise ship is like it's a like a little setting. ecology in itself. Yes. Yeah. Wow. And so then that was the first study that like seems so different. And then all these other outbreaks, and I think the more the the ones that are most um, convincing are food processing plants because right. quite a few food processing workers got sick at the beginning right. um, of this pandemic. And um, the president actually said, "Okay, that's essential work. I don't care. Uh, we you have to do processing. We have to keep the meat processing plants open." But they said, "Okay, well, we're going to give our workers masks." And so this was a very strict guideline by food processing plants in this country. We're going to give people masks. We're going to keep them apart and we're going to mandate masking. Ah. And then the all the other food processing plant outbreaks that have occurred since mandates were um, put into place with masking have shown 95% asymptomatic rate. So really high asymptomatic That's rate. That's super high. And right. it's so different it's than not what was happening anymore. at the beginning. It's right. almost a not disease yeah. anymore. And so and only 5% of people getting sick. And then there's a paper I'm working on now in another company where they just gave everyone masks and the rate of asymptomatic infection is 95% after their outbreak. So this is kind of, this is this has been seen in outbreak settings. And then the final piece of evidence is ecologic or country level. Just in general, if and I know this is the weakest line of evidence because people can say there's a lot of differences sure, between sure, countries. Sure. But just in general, countries that masked from the very beginning, which were all the countries who were used to it from SARS, Hong Kong, Singapore, Thailand, Vietnam, Japan, urban areas in China, they just knew to mask. That was their thing from SARS. They Mm -hmm. took out their masks, they all started masking. And then the Czech Republic, and I always point out the Czech Republic because they weren't used to masking from SARS, but on March 23rd, Mm -hmm. they just pulled it out. They said, everyone has to mask. I'm sorry, this this is our rule. 
make them at home, crochet them cute, like make them cloth. They had to, you know, we don't want to like take it away from healthcare workers. So use cloth, but everyone has to mask. March 23rd, earlier than any other uh, European country. And the rate of illness and death has been so low in these countries that when you look at the case fatality rate, it truly is, it is low. Now that people will say, well, that's because they're only doing testing of people who are symptomatic. And then you can say in, um, in return, well, then the case fatality rate should be even higher because yeah, it's people be who had symptoms, right. right? That you're testing. And then how many people die who have symptoms? They should, that should be quite high if you're not testing any asymptomatic people to, to dilute out your denominator to make your exactly. case fatality rate because case fatality is the number of fatalities over cases. But yet their case fatality rate and even their uh, fatality rate from SARS-CoV-2 have been very low. Taiwan has had less than 10 deaths. This is a country of 23 million people, That's high population China. density next to China. On March 6th, they said, you know what? All our factories are going to make masks. We're not going to do anything else. Make masks, make masks, make masks for our populace. And then anywhere you go, you're just handed surgical masks. Like you can't get into a public transportation. You just were handed masks. Surgical they level masks. masks. Yeah. Surgical level surgical masks. Surgical level masks. Two ply. Yeah. And, um, and they get into subways and they've had so few deaths. And so that was that's, that's the other layer of evidence that I think masking is associated with severity of disease. Now, now, now I think it's important because you said this at the beginning, there's a lot of confounders and yes, yes. those, like they had early suppression, testing, contact yes, tracing, all yes. that. But regardless of that, you're painting a picture across the virologic, the epidemiologic, and the ecologic spheres that yes. really support this idea that masks maybe through reduction of inoculum uh, are reducing severity and reducing the case fatality rate, which yes. is interesting because yes. that means that it then people are saying, well, this is no worse than a flu. Well, it could be true if everybody universally masked. If everybody universally masked, right. the case fatality rate is similar to flu in countries where you're universally masking. And then you're right. You have to say that there's all these other confounders, but I'll give another good example of San Francisco because we're gonna be doing this analysis with these um, these two data scientists uh, contacted me from MIT and they're like, we have access to a lot of big data. Do you wanna look at different municipalities in the United States? And I said, yes, let's look at the severity of disease in places in the US that mask a lot and don't mask very much. Yeah. So a good example is San Francisco. Their, um, their, their number of deaths total have been 88 deaths since the very beginning. Uh, very low uh, compared to the number of cases, which is over 10,000 now. Their case fatality rate, and they, this is a place that tests, contact trace, does everything perfect, right? But their, um, their number of deaths have been very low. Mm. Masking in San Francisco has been a big part of the public health campaign. Yeah. April 17th, we had a mask recommendation, then they strengthened it on May 28th, then they put out masking even more. Masking is like a very strong part of public health messaging in San Francisco. And Vox Magazine did this report that they think probably 80% of people mask in San Francisco. Mm. If that is true, that is this golden number by another, um, another study. model that we yeah. put in there. This study said that is the golden number where you get the deaths so low if you mask at that rate that you can be completely on lockdown, on socially distanced, it's about masking. That's what this um, these modelers in Hong Kong did. 
So <laughs> it could be San Francisco is one place where it's showing that. And I think the case fatality rate has been higher in places that don't mask as well. And that's what we're going to try to show in this paper. I can't wait to see the results yeah. of that because I mean, if this is true, what this is saying is, you ha okay, 80%, let's say, is this magic threshold where yeah. if 80% of the population masks, you don't have to worry so much about all those other things. You open up, go back to school, yeah. open up the salons, yes. which there's data about salons. From they this, need to open up the salons. I feel so sorry for those hairstylists. Yes, there right? is data, true, like you said, from the CDC that someone, you know, two hairstylists in Missouri had active COVID, but they were masking, all their clients were masking, 139 people were exposed. And the interesting thing about that study is 67 agreed to test and they were all negative. Maybe those other 72 weren't- Got infected. Got COVID, but they, they didn't know it. They're they not were dead. totally asymptomatic. They were completely, no one was ill of that 139. That's where they got that asymptomatic rate. Not all agreed to be tested. And I'll tell you what, not only is that something we care about, yeah. we really only care about you it. You have to care about not getting but, ill, but, right. but, but you know what? Oh God, oh man, there's so much I wanted to ask you. I wish we had three hours. So, <laughs> so, so, oh my gosh. Okay, so if you get to that 80% threshold then, let's say that that's real, all right? Let's yeah. say your theory's right. Yeah. You have a 20% variance. Yeah. That means the libertarians, the people who are PTSD, they can't have something on their face. They don't have to mask. They, I, I really think that that's actually why I don't want anyone to yell at anyone because I it doesn't think matter. it doesn't have to be 100%. Yeah. It really doesn't. This model really showed 80%. And so if you're able to mask and you have that ability to mask and if you just, it just goes against everything, that's okay. Like if the city and in general, 80% is masking, I think it's okay. But, but then when you tell people Hey, it's not just about protecting other people from a hoax you don't believe in. It's about actually protecting yourself. So even if it is a hoax and there's a small chance you could die from it, you just throw a piece of fabric on your face. Yes. I don't care what it is. Uh, you could be safe. I think you'd get that up to 90%. See, you know? that's why this has been a very important message for me to write about and then other people take up and write about because I think that idea that masks protect yourself yeah. is how... We need to message that as well. So California just changed their um, mm. messaging. Mm. They are going to say mass protect others and you. Mm -hmm. San Francisco changed it two weeks ago. I saw so that chart, it was beautiful. It is, yeah. this is very important yeah. because, and I think it's okay, like we'll say, oh, we're just so non-civic duty minded here and we don't care about other Americans when we message that it protects others. But that is sort of kind of human nature that you may not, it's complicated, I keep on going back to condoms, but it is complicated. Like if you have HIV and you don't wanna wear a condom, um, that's okay. Like, I, I don't know, like it's, I just think it's complicated when you're yelling at people. And so, so again, but this idea that it protects yourself will increase our compliance rate with masks. Uh, I agree a thousand percent. Yeah. I mean, I wear a mask myself, always do, because I'm a doctor and I know it protects me. Yes. And then it also, if I'm sick, then there's that secondary benefit of, hey, I'm not gonna protect any just <laughs> yeah, pure human nature. Pure human yeah, nature. Yeah, it's pure human nature. That, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. So I want to protect my, I, I put my children in my in their mask. I want to protect them. That's very natural of me to want to protect them. Absolutely. And and, there, and and again, there's no harm here. Yeah. You're not directly harming these children. Now, here's an interesting idea I had, and then we got to get to herd immunity, yes. and we got to talk about the fear mongering. Yes. Because okay, yes, we have a limited, definitely. because yes. I know you got to get yes. back to your yes. kids. So here, here, here's the thing. Here's a crazy theory that I don't think is true. But could it be also that the reason you get less symptomatic disease with masking is that you're actually blocking more of the inhaled stuff, but f getting a more fomitic spread from people touching their face, adjusting their mask, and that fomitic spread is a low dose, meaning fomite meaning from surfaces, 
it's a lower dose, so that's a lowering inoculum. Could that be a component? That's of it? interesting. Even though I, I want, pe I maybe, but I actually want to get people away from the fomite thing. So I, I think that at the beginning, people were tremendously scared. They yes. were like, "Oh my God, it must be like everywhere. It must be on surfaces." Well, Sanitize can, everything. You can always culture viruses from surfaces. By right, the way, it's not like right, just SARS-CoV-2. Right. You can culture like we all remember this from medical school. Like you can like yeah. culture this piece of fabric, and there's going to be a bunch of stuff in there. That doesn't mean that's how you get it. Yeah. And in fact, I want to get people away from this idea about surfaces and fomites. Please open playgrounds. Please let people like, um, you know, like, please like let people like not, you know, don't make people wear gloves, like, uh, which luckily we did stop doing that. Of course, basic hand hygiene, that's really important. But don't, I don't want people to be scared of surfaces. And so in a way, I don't even want that to be part of the theory. I also actually don't think that ocular... Transmission is a very big thing. I think it, it's the big holes in the mouth and the nose where virus enters and where virus exits. And that's why it's that light, um, what's comfortable for you covering of the mouth and nose that I want to encourage. A, it's a pie hole related yes, scenario. Yes, yes, they're big, they're <laughs> yeah, big. Yeah, well, so, okay, so now let's think about, and, and again, I'm gonna link to all your stuff, uh, the New England piece, New York Times piece, the, there was a general internal medicine piece, I yes, think that you had. Yes, Wonderful, wonderful stuff. And people can dig through the references and tear it apart if they want. They can, That's they can, they can. It's a theory, yeah. Exactly, but um, I'll tell you this, the T-cell mediated immunity, the innate immunity to COVID that some people may have, and the idea that we could be inoculating the population with low-dose exposure through mass as a bridge to getting us to vaccine, start to unpack that for me. Yeah, so that is this article that came out this week, and we call it, facial masking, a potential for variolation to vaccination. But I really have to explain that. So, yes, yes, please. So what, that, what we meant by that is that, okay, so now let's do the transitive property of quality and take this one step further. If masking, facial masking and, and comfortable cotton masking um, may, I think it blocks virus for sure, it blocks transmission. We've seen that in the hospital that people with surgical masks, they get less transmission. But if you do get virus in that you get less sick because it's less virus, mm. um, then take that point and then take the fact that even having mild or asymptomatic infection, we've had great studies over the last five weeks really published in Cell and Nature and Science, very exciting studies that even mild and asymptomatic infection can be associated with strong T cell immunity. Mm. So just like really basic, right? Like B cells produce antibodies, T cells are cell mediated immunity and there's two arms of the immune system. And if we only focus on B cells and antibodies, we're missing half of the way that we, most of the way that we actually protect ourselves from viruses, which is cell mediated immunity. Mm. So these particular papers that I'm talking about that we reference um, are excellent. One's from UW, one's from uh, here at UCSF, one's from Sweden, they're all over the world that shows really strong T cell responses, mm. even when you have mild or asymptomatic infection. Mm. Don't know how long they're gonna last, mm. um, but it, it's gonna give you immunity for a while. Mm. So if you're wearing a mask and you happen to get infected and you get asymptomatic disease and you get immune to boot, that is like having your cake and eating it mm. too, in my opinion. And so mm. it's a theory, meaning we can't keep society closed forever. Um, we, we just can't. It's actually very, very detrimental to um, you know children who need to go to school and it's very detrimental to 
society as a whole. Our mental uh, our mental health. Yeah. We're all so depressed. It's a, um, it's a it's a regressive tax on the poor. It it really like, it's the you, most unfair to the poor. You and me can summer in the mountains and we can work sit from in home our ho- houses as much as we want our, with our lovely wireless communication bubble. It right. is elite. But it is elite. It is. It, it is. It is elite to say that you can keep society closed. Yeah. Because by definition, people need to eat. By definition, mm. people the essential workers are those who are out mm. and. By definition, it is it will always hurt the poor more more to do such a blunt measure as mm. lockdown. <laughs> we had to do that at the beginning because we didn't know what was going on. Right. It was so scary. It was so weird. It was spreading so fast. Now that we have these public health tools that are so effective, like population level masking, which I truly believe in, I think we need to open in those settings that we can open with that tool in play. And others, and, and some more tools, which would be things like keeping, I mean, right now, keeping away from each other, uh, not large crowds. I don't right. think people should be congregating in large crowds right now, even with masks. Um, not um, social distancing as much as you can, hand hygiene, um, testing in a, in a, in a, in for sniffs and vulnerable populations, testing for jails, setting for uh, testing. Um, you can do some surveillance testing, do, you know, testing and tracing when you need to. But I would... I believe in masking so much. I believe it's so important to help protect you and others that I think um, we have to now start thinking, okay, there are other issues going on in the world. There's other public health concerns. We have to um, think about the poor and we have to just put together now a comprehensive public health strategy that mitigates the impact from this particular new infection for sure and also thinks about other principles of public health. That's where we are now at this point in September. Mm. And so um, so the immunity question is, okay, so if it generates strong T-cell immunity, then can we buy ourselves some time until we get to an effective vaccine? And that's why we called it variolation till vaccination. What was variolation? Variolation was different than this. Variolation was a deliberate process. Variola is the name of the smallpox virus, the DNA virus. And the idea of variolation, because we didn't have a vaccine and we didn't even know about vaccines, it's what led us to to understand vaccines, was actually giving people small amounts of smallpox through a cut, like a scab, a gross smallpox-like piece of hair or someone from someone with pus on it, and giving it to them in a scab, and they would get really asymptomatic or mild infection if you were lucky, and then they would get immune. Mm. And certainly we're not at all telling people by masking to deliberately expose Go themselves. have a COVID party. Not at all. Right. We do not believe in COVID parties and pox <laughs> parties and any of that. That would be dangerous. That would be if we were not in the situation where we are now, where we have a modality that I think, and I, I know it's a theory, but I, I, I really feel like there's so much more accumulating evidence where it protects you. Mm. And then if you get mild infection and you get immunity to boot, that can help bridge our society until we get to a vaccine. Mm. And that's all the theory is propounding. Mm-hmm. It's definitely, there's been some controversy. There's people yelling at me and saying, you're telling people to get deliberately infected. That is not what I'm saying. Right. That's and, not what I'm and, saying. And why is herd immunity such a bad word? It should not be a bad word. I'm, right. I'm not, I'm, I'm, I have to say I'm 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 literally flummoxed about it. So yeah. I I want to be honest. Like I can't even exactly explain the politicization of that word. Right. Because what herd immunity means is um, any any infectious disease doctor that knows anything about infectious disease that is that is a true um, strategy by which infection rates are slowed. Mm-hmm. So it means that you essentially get um, lower number, more people have been exposed to the virus, mm-hmm. either through vaccination, if you're lucky, but we don't have a vaccine for SARS-CoV-2, 
or natural infection in a, in a setting here. This is such a transmissible virus. We're getting more and more people exposed to the virus. Mm. They likely have immunity. And then by definition, the virus can't go as many places because they try to hurt this person, they try to get to this person and they're not, as, they're not susceptible, they're mm -hmm. immune. Mm -hmm. So by definition, it slows down spread of the virus in the community mm. while you're waiting for that for that vaccine. And so herd immunity is not a, a bad term. It shouldn't be. I'm not sure about the co-opting. I'm confused. But I do have to say that I do think that herd immunity is occurring along with masking in our society right now. And I think it's decreasing mortality rates. I gave a talk for Medical Grand Rounds at UCSF just two days ago. And I think there's five factors that decreasing our mortality rate. I think that one of them is better treatments, for mm. sure. I think that second is that we're doing a much better job at isolating um, and mass testing in SNFs mm. and keeping infection control, sorry, in, in nursing homes. I think the third reason is masking. I think it is decreasing the mortality rate. And we'll do this analysis and see if is that more true in places that mask and and more mortality rate in places that don't. We'll see that, um, we'll look at that. And then the fourth reason um, is that I think that uh, there is immunity developing. There is immunity developing in the population. Mm -hmm. This is, we haven't eradicated this infection. It's very hard to eradicate. Vietnam did an amazing job. They controlled it. They opened up a little bit. They had no cases for four months and then they got cases back. Why? Because it's a very transmissible, it's a very contagious virus. People are going to be exposed. And because of that, if people become more and more immune, that will reduce spread. Mm. It will. It's just, mm. it's an infectious disease principle. Mm. And so my hope is that we can get to immunity with asymptomatic infection, not symptomatic infection. I would never propound people getting sick to mm. get to herd immunity. So that is where I differ from anyone who's trying to yell at Just me. Just let it rip through the population. That would be terrible. Right, right. I would be I would be horrified if there were deaths right, right. and and severe illness. So the that are preventable. Is, that are preventable. That are preventable. Because we can't we can't prevent everything. We can't prevent right? everything. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Some people will die from SARS-CoV-2. Yes, That's yes, right. That's yes, right. Yes. As they will die from many things and it is terrible. Now, now you know 0.6% of our population is sniff uh, nursing home patients. They are 40% of the yes. fatalities. That's why those those places have to be the most, that's where we do mass testing. Right. That's where we do mass right. asymptomatic right. testing. Right. I don't think that we should stop people from seeing people, but that, that's where we do fundamental masking do, um, when we have people visit. Do you think we're over-testing and creating a case-demic right now instead of a pandemic? In other words, we're seeing all these very low-level people that are asymptomatic that test positive and you're, and you're calling it a case, but in reality, they have no symptoms, they're now immune. Is that useful information? I think it was useful information to know who was infected when we were in a state where we could have maybe contact traced it into oblivion. Mm. However, I don't, I think this is a super transmissible virus actually. Mm. And um, and yes, we did things that were wrong in this country and we could go into that, but there's no point. We're now in September, this is where we are. There's a lot of virus circulating and I don't think that we can contact trace and get this into oblivion. We yeah. simply can't, we I cannot agree. eradicate this virus. I agree. So I would put our resources into mass testing campaigns, into nursing homes, jails, ho inpatient hospital settings, essential worker communities, but only if you give them money to isolate. Mm. I would not mass test Latina Latinx in, in San Francisco without ensuring that you have what one of the supervisors did, which is a right to health. And she literally ensured, Hillary Ronan ensured that people had um, ways to stay home mm. and isolate during their period of isolation. Mm. How do you like say to someone, 
someone, hey, I'm going to test you. And then, by the way, I'm going to give you nothing to stay at home. Mm. And, and what you are you going to do? Like, do your family. You have to like uh, get money for your family. Okay. That, is, that is a very harsh thing for us to do. Right. So essential worker communities and then supporting essential worker communities, that I really believe in. Right. Um, but yeah, testing everyone and all these people who are in tech and they're testing um, themselves because they have the money to do it. And then they're getting cases or they sometimes get cases or not. I think that is a waste of resources. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. And, and you know what's interesting too is when the Europeans do their lockdowns, like say the Denmark, say, they do something that we don't do, which is they take care of their poor people. Yes. So they're not punishing poor people with lockdowns. In this country, we do do that, which is why I think- We're the opposite. We're the opposite, which we, means- We like do the wrong thing. We yeah. actually punish people by putting a lockdown so the rich people can stay in their house. Yes. And then we don't help the poor people. That's it right. It is unbelievable. It's, it's unconscionable. It's like the worst way you and, could do things. And this is not a political statement. No, this is a humanistic statement. Yeah. It's just a straight <laughs> truth. Like, so what happens? Well, okay, how about we spin up production of surgical level masks even and give them to everybody like the Taiwanese did? That would be a simple way yes. to get through this, open up the economy and get back to life. Instead, yes. we monger fear on the left, denial on the right, yes. division everywhere. Yes, we are doing it the worst way possible, worst possible in this way. country, really. Yeah. And and we're doing it the worst way from both sides, Yeah, right? Like if I were... Uh, so I'm I'm someone who really believes in um, who is very interested in poverty and and it's what got me into infectious disease. I really do believe that we have to support the poor, and I have just been watching with horror that we would mass test the poor um, and not ensure that they have ways to isolate to with right. masks, food, and um, and and twelve hundred dollars a week during that time. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I think it's uh, um, uh, or twelve hundred dollars a month. It's unbelievable. So actually, I, we're just doing everything wrong. Yeah, I, I, I'm I agree with you. with you. I'm with you. But one thing that's, that we're doing right is we're having a discourse, Yeah, you and I. Yeah. And even if people may disagree with the theory, the great thing is we're gonna study it more. I think personally, you have compelled me enough. And I, I, I totally understand. And we could dig and I could pick apart these different things. But the point is the people will do that and I want them to. What I wanna say is if you're right, everyone, 80% of masks doesn't even need a mandate. Yeah. People can just do it yeah, because they they're compelled it. Be, by the they'll message. They'll become convinced. That's I, right. I really think so. And 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 if they're if we're wrong, and I saw this spelled out somewhere, if we're wrong, and people like say Ivor Cummings, who's a um, an Irish chemical engineer who's done a lot of data analysis, he doesn't believe in mass, but he also thinks this whole thing is our fear has outweighed and consequences of our response have outweighed the damage of the virus. He thinks it's following seasonal patterns of mm. what an influenza would do. And I think those are ideas worth exploring, but tear apart the data, see if it's true. But you know, I think guys like that, let's say they're right, and this whole thing has been a misresponse. Well, at least we did something with good intent, which is masks, which caused minimal harm, yeah. which had a precautionary principle attached to it, which is, well, okay, we just don't know enough. And we can sleep with good conscience, as opposed to saying, oh, it's nothing, we're gonna let it rip through the, to the population and then seeing, we see the people die. Right, Not right. the person making that statement. Right, people and so, have died, right, yeah. exactly. And so again, our response has been pure fear, which is terrible, catastrophizing on the left. And that's what I hate is this catastrophe. It's a cognitive distortion. And I think you and I were talking a little bit even beforehand. Yeah. It's a fear of death as the worst possible thing that can happen to a person which I think is a, is a failure of our own understanding of what it means to be a human. The most, it's also the most definitive thing that will ever happen to a person. And so I do think that we have to balance right now 
all the etiologies of death, all the etiologies of misery, and all the etiologies of public health when we decide on our strategy in this pandemic. And I am thinking of the massive number of overdose deaths in San Francisco that are in excess mm. over the last four months. Mm. How do we not provide a society where we haven't taken care of an ability to uh, to to be safe with drug use. We we right now we are we are exposing the ills of society. I think by this response, mm-hmm. and I completely agree with you. Now that we go forward and we have a new disease in our midst, midst mm-hmm. a disease that's spread by a respiratory pathogen, a disease that we could possibly help ourselves with with wearing a mask for the next six to 12 months, Mm. now it's time to think about all the other ills of society and all the other public health concerns. Mental health, including everything else, HIV. uh, My biggest concern is that our HIV patients are gonna lose virologic suppression because they're not coming into clinic and we have analysis on this from Ward 86. They're so scared to come to clinic that was their linchpin um, of getting better virologic suppression rates is the, is the connection that they had with Ward 86. They're not coming. We, at the beginning, told them not to come, mm. and they're losing their, their ability to maintain their virologic suppression. We just have an analysis on this published. Nobody talks so, about no, that. No, they're not talking to talk about, about everything the else. missed cancer yeah. screening, yes, the mammals right, that are happening, right. all this other stuff, and yet we pound the drum about you know, protect everyone from COVID. And you forget that this is a holistic web we live in. As doctors, actually, we have to be talking about those other things, right? Like as physicians, I have a friend who's uh, doing more poorly with cancer than he would, unfortunately, right now, because he can't get access to to cancer trials. And as doctors, we have to be talking about that and not call that political. That is our job. That's our job. That's our job to protect people from illness. I, I'm actually encouraged that we're going to hit a, a, a turning point here. I think so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe this conversation will help uh, a turning point. I will tell you 100%. I want to tell you something, and this is a compliment to you and everything that you're trying to do. I've had people message me who say that they are very, very much on the right end of the, the rightward uh, leaning political spectrum. And first of all, they appreciate that I don't. I don't put politics out on the table as a as a bludgeon because my own politics are somewhere in the center and I see all these sides. But they but what they said was they heard my talking about your work in a video we did called This Is What Mass Actually Do. And it convinced them to go, you know what? There's no harm in throwing this thing on to protect myself and other people if there's a chance it'll help, even though I think this thing is overblown, even though I haven't seen anyone die of it. And that means you may just prevent one case of someone being on a ventilator if your theory is right, without causing a lot of harm. That would be so great, because I don't think it causes harm, and it would be so great if we save illness, and it'd be so great if we get to immunity, and it'd be so great if we now turn our conversation as doctors to both minimizing the impact of COVID and minimizing the impact of the ill effects of the COVID response on illness and human society. That is the time, it's September. I I, I couldn't agree more. Monica, Gandhi, it has been a joy. Thank you know what you. I love about you is I emailed you and said, Hey, I'm this guy, ZDog MD. I do a show. I live in the Bay Area. You want to come down and do the show? She's and you. You don't need. You didn't really know what I did or who I was, but you said, "Yeah, if it's talking about this, I'll come down the peninsula." And I'm busy, and it's hard. And you did it with a smile on your face because I wanted to talk to a person in real life. <laughs> 
I cannot stand Zoom. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's so nice to see a human. Thank you. Thank you. You you have made my weekend. It's true. It, this social connection is priceless. It's really yeah. important. Well, we thank hit it you off for from talking like minute to me. one. Oh. Thank you. <laughs> that, that says something profound, you guys. ZPAC, if you love these kind of conversations, just share it. That's all you need to do. You can become a supporter, all that other jazz, but it doesn't matter. Share it, read about Dr. Gandhi's mask work, see if it compels you to be one of those 80% that we need to mask up if the theory's right and we could end this thing. We could end this thing. All right, guys, I love you. We're gonna have you back. Thank you. Would you please yes, come back? Yes, yes, oh, I will so definitely There's so much we can talk about. Okay, I wanna talk about PrEP and HIV. Okay, I talk oh, about... yeah. Oh, yeah. Those are my actually true favorite topics. I, Thank I you. figured. Okay. All right, guys, I love you and we out. Peace. Hey, it's Dr. Z. Thanks for getting through the whole episode. That's a huge accomplishment. <laughs> and so at this point, I just got to ask you for a few favors because it just helps us so much if you leave a review on your favorite podcast platform and subscribe. It, it just really helps the algorithm to get this message out to others. The second thing is email me, hello at zdogmd.com. I get all these emails personally. I can't respond to them all, but I need to hear your voice because especially on podcast, we don't have a comment section. And I wanna hear how this episode affected you, what you'd like to hear in the future, what you think we got wrong, what we think we got right, anything, anything, or just say hi. So that's really powerful. And the third thing is, Financially, it helps us a lot to support the show in any way you can. And if you go to zdogmd.com forward slash supporters, you can join our supporter tribe on your favorite platform, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, wherever. What that will get you on those platforms is live shows with me that are exclusive for supporters and access to our Zoom meetings where we talk about awakening realization and we share with each other our own experience. It's a powerful group effect. It's a community, really. And we support and love each other and share, again, through our own experience, how we're waking up. So, and that that ripples out into systems, into transforming healthcare and education and government. So it st really starts with us. So join us there if you can. Again, zdogmd.com forward slash supporters. And I'm so grateful to have you with us.